we live in a world full of restlessness. Anybody, would everybody agree with that, that we live in a restless world? Um, there's a lot of different forms of restlessness. Uh, one is sleep, right? I mean, so the CDC actually reports that about a third of Americans don't get enough sleep. So that's one way that we're restless. During COVID, we saw it even more poignantly, even more pointed. And, and they did some studies, uh, one of which was the University of Chicago in 2020. They said that about 14% of Americans would consider themselves very happy. Um, and then in that same study, they showed that 50% felt isolated and lonely. They were restless. They were anxious. Uh, they just couldn't seem to find rest for their soul. Uh, where, where do we turn in order to get rest? Where do you go to get rest? A lot of people in our culture turn to a lot of other things to get rest, that promises rest, but is, always fails to deliver, some of which being drugs, alcohol, sexual sin, money. They all promise that, hey, we're going to give you rest. We're going to help you sleep better at night. We're going to provide for you, right? But we know that that's not true. Watch anyone who's addicted to a substance, and you'll see somebody striving and striving for rest, for release, for peace, and never finding it. Instead, actually finding the worst, finding, finding that they're more restless as they continue to seek out that substance. Watch anyone who, who tries to cling to money. They're like, okay, money, that will give me rest. I'll be able to sleep well at night if my, my retirement count is at this certain point. I'll be able to sleep better at night. Well, you look at that person, the stock market's up, and they can't rest because they know, they just know it's going to crash, right? We can't have a bull market forever. The bear market will, will eventually hit. And then when the bear market hits, then it's, well, how low is it going to go? Am I going to ever be able to retire? Is this ever going to rebound? And they try to find their rest in that, and they find themselves just more and more anxious because it never can deliver. Well, today we're going to talk about finding rest in the Lord, uh, where, where rest truly can be found. We're going to see how God sovereignly provides rest for Ruth in this book, and we're going to see how that applies even to us today. So let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much that you are a God of rest. A God, you're a God who modeled rest on the seventh day as you, you rested during creation, God. You, you've invented rest, uh, Lord God. And Lord, as we, as we understand what your rest really is scripturally here, uh, as, we, as we dig into your word and we grow in that, may you just open up our hearts and our minds uh, to understand uh, just how great you are, how good that you are, and how, how wonderful the peace that only you can give us is. We love you, Lord. Amen. So today we're going to discuss three different realities that we find as we seek the rest from the Lord. Uh, the first one is, when we seek rest in the Lord, the risk is real. The risk is real when we see seek rest in the Lord. Starting verse 1 here, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, we're in Ruth chapter 3, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? So you remember, we ended last week with about a, a six to seven week barley harvest. It's about how long that went. And now we've come to the end of that barley harvest. And Ruth has been working in the field of, of fields of Boaz and uh, just been getting a great deal of food. We saw at least that one day she got over a week's worth of food for the two women. And now she's done this for six to seven weeks and she's stockpiled almost a year's worth of food. Just, you know, really, they're, they're in a great position. One must assume during this time that she's been working in that field that that one, that first day that Boaz invited her to the table, that probably wasn't the last time. Uh, they've probably gotten to know each other a little bit further, and God's continued to show favor uh, to, this, to these poor and widowed, widowed women. 
Uh, and, and Boaz has been this personal demonstration of grace to them. It's been such a blessed return to Bethlehem for Naomi, who came just so bitter, and now she's just seeing the blessing of the Lord. And for Ruth, it's such a blessed welcome. You know, she thought, hey, this could be really bad. I could be outcast. I could be harmed. And she's been welcomed with open arms by Boaz and his, and his servants and his workers. But then Naomi says that she seeks rest for Ruth. And, and what exactly does she mean by this word Manoah, this word rest, and, or Manoah is actually how you would say it in Hebrew. Uh, what, what does she mean when she says that? And, and what she means is she wants to find her security in a husband. You know, we live in, this, this is a very patriarchal society at that point, and so, so Ruth has no security. So Naomi passes, Ruth has no actual legitimate family in Israel. Despite her claim for Yahweh and her leaving her people and coming to this people group, she has no law that's protecting her at this point that says, hey, you have an inheritance. And so Naomi realizes that she's significantly older than Ruth and that when she passes, Ruth is going to kind of be empty at that point. She's going to be left in poverty in Israel or be forced to go back to Moab, one of the two. And in verse 2 we see, is not Boaz our relative with whose young women you were. And so we see Naomi's, her wheels are turning. We, we see her like, she's, she's, she may be conniving a little bit, coming up with a plan here, and she says, hey, what about Boaz, right? Um, her faith has been renewed, so it, she doesn't think about Boaz for herself, for, for her protection that Ruth would marry, because she's doing well. Her faith has been renewed. She's seen God sovereignly bless Bethlehem. Uh, she, she's seen God bless her and give, provide an abundance of food. She's okay. She knows she's protected, but Israel law protects widows, and they, they would be okay. She knew that she would be fine, but she knows that, that Ruth would not. And it's safe to assume, likely, in this six- or seven-week period that Boaz and Ruth have gotten to know each other a little better, right? They, they probably shared the table a few more times throughout this time. We're not given that, but we can feel pretty confident that, that maybe they've gotten to know Boaz a little bit better over this time. In a small town like Bethlehem, Naomi's bound to have known more and more about Boaz's reputation. This is a, 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 a good guy. This is a guy that, that would be a really uh, great guy for Ruth. Note the incredible, subtle, yet important comment in verse 2 here. This is confirmation of acceptance on this next slide. Is not Boaz what? Is not Boaz our relative? Do, do you get, like a lot of times when we're reading, we just read over something like this. This is a revolutionary pronoun. This word our, that means that Ruth is, or Naomi is including Ruth as our relative. She's saying, hey, you're a legitimate Israelite. You are a child of God, just like I am, just like Boaz is. He is our relative. And so we've already seen Boaz, who's pretty much said that already. He said, you know, hey, you're, you're in. You know, prayed a blessing from Yahweh over Ruth. And now we're seeing Naomi say the exact same thing. They've recognized her conversion to being an Israelite. And at the end of verse 2 here, we see, See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. For those of you who haven't heard about winnowing or what that is, uh, Boaz would hammer the, the barley, which is attached to straw, and then the, this, this big winnowing fork, and I think there's a picture maybe up right there, this big winnowing fork, the straw would be let up, and the wind would carry the straw, and the edible barley would fall down uh, on, the, uh, on the ground. And so it was using, using the wind in order to be able to sift through this. And that's what he was going to be doing that night. With, with their harvest. 
Then we move in on to the plan of Naomi and Ruth chapter 3, verses 3 through 5. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, and then go uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, All that you say, I will do. So through verse 2, I think we were all on the same page. We were like, hey, Ruth's a great girl. Boaz is a great guy. Naomi wants to hook him up. You know what? That sounds like a pretty good plan, right? I mean, it, it seems like it just solves all the problems. I'm sure you know, Boaz, he's, he's probably lonely. He's an, he's an older guy that hasn't been married. Ruth, obviously, is a widow. She, she needs somebody as well. Uh, she'd love to become a, an official law, by, the, by law uh, member of the house of God. This just seems like a great plan. And then we get to verses 3 through 5, and you're like, what just happened? You know, I mean, like, I, I, you know, you, and here's the thing. Not only are we like that, but the Israelites who, who heard this as well, they would have said the same thing. Like, whoa, you know, what is going on here? This is, this is pretty risky. And before kind of getting into the scripture directly, I want us to learn, kind of go over two theological principles here as we approach the interpretation of scripture. And there are two big categories of scripture. There are prescriptive scriptures, and there are descriptive scriptures. And it's really important to understand these two, and I put, the, put, put them in your hand out there. So prescriptive is, they're commands of God. They are the law. They don't change no matter what the circumstances is. You know, thou shalt not murder. Thou shalt not steal. It, it's not like, you, 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 it's not that you can steal here, but you can't steal here, right? Uh, thou shalt not commit adultery. That doesn't mean that God's ever like, okay, it's okay if you do it here. No, those are, those are commands. They're prescriptive it doesn't matter what the situation is. These are the laws of God. But then there are descriptive sections of Scripture. And, and descriptive, uh, it's something that's described in Scripture, right? And so many of the, de- the, the descriptive sections of Scripture are not exactly thinking, say, hey, this is what you should do if you get in this situation. You know, and I think most of us would know, hey, this is probably not the best plan for our daughters. Uh, if you have a man that you would love your daughter to marry, Probably not the best idea to say, hey, go wash yourself, anoint yourself, and lay at his feet at night, right? And so, so we, got, we have to know as we interpret Scripture when things are not prescriptive. These are descriptive. So we can learn principles from descriptive uh, passages, but, but they're not prescript, prescriptive. That doesn't mean, hey, this is what we are supposed to do in these sections. So, so, so make sure you realize that because we know that if this same plan occurred in a different situation with a less godly man— this could be very, very ugly. So we have to, when we look at Scripture, we have to realize that, that Scripture is not always giving us commands. It's describing something that happened. We also see that not everyone in Scripture does the right thing. And if you've read the Old Testament, you see a lot of people do the wrong thing over and over and over again, and it's given to us in a descriptive passage so we learn, don't do that. And, and we also learn how great God is, that even in a kind of messed up plan, that God is sovereignly orchestrating everything anyway. And that he still steps in and, and makes wrongs right. And so, so I just wanted to make sure before we, we study it that we realize just because it's in here doesn't mean that's what you're supposed to do. Because a lot of times we just say, oh, we'll do whatever's in the Bible. It's like, well, there's some bad stuff in here. And God's telling you don't do that. Like some things are actually the opposite. He's saying, hey, don't, don't do those things. So we can learn from other people's mistakes, right? So Naomi and Ruth know something important about Boaz as she makes this plan. They know his reputation. They know that he's a righteous man, as we saw in Ruth 2.1. He's known as a worthy man, a righteous man, right? So, so getting back to the plan, we see that Naomi comes up with a, a pretty crazy plan. You know, 
bathe yourself, anoint yourself with perfume, sneak at night, uncover his feet, and lay down. That seems pretty risky, but I think as crazy as the plan is, verse 5 actually kind of blows my mind even more. Uh, what, what does it say in verse 5? It says, and she replied what? All that you say I will do. What? Now, I mean, I don't know about you all. Like, if somebody gives me a crazy plan, I'm probably going to have a couple of questions. You know, I mean, what do I do if he gets angry? Uh, you know, what if he rejects me? What if, he's going, what if he tries to harm me? What do I do in that case? But Ruth, she just goes with it. She, she has such faith in God and in Naomi and in Yahweh and, and obviously in Boaz, too, and his character and knowing him that she just goes with it, doesn't even ask any questions. And then comes verses 6 and 7. So she went down to the threshing floor and did as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid down. So we see Naomi's plan played out here, right? He lays down at the heap of grain. Nobody's probably near him at that point. And he's, he lays down, goes to sleep, and Ruth uncovers his feet and lays down. I love the book of Ruth because in so many places, you don't exactly know what's going to happen next. It's, it's, like, it's like this just crazy, suspenseful, you, you just see it set up, and it's like, how is this going to turn out, right? Uh, you know, will, will Boaz wake up, and is he going to be like, what are you doing? You know, get out of here. No more food for you or Naomi. You know, I can't believe what you've just done. I'm going to cast you out. Does he see, are you trying to damage my reputation that I've been working so hard to keep as being a pure man? Or is he going to respond favorably? And I think if we were watching a show, this would be the point where 15 minutes of commercials comes on. uh, And you just have to sit there waiting for a a long, long, long time. Uh, That's kind of where we would be at this point. And that suspense is just brewing. And while we're left with this cliffhanger, though, we can we can learn a lot about Ruth. We can learn a whole lot. So although this plan is descriptive and not prescriptive, we do see Ruth do something incredible here. She risks it all in faith. She says, okay, I trust Naomi, I trust Boaz, I trust God, and I'm going to step out, and this could turn out very poorly for me, but I'm going to step out, and I'm going to go in faith. She could have lost her good reputation. She could have lost her milk take, as we talked about. Boaz could have gotten upset. Yes, she proceeded in faith. Ruth is seeking rest. And in this context, it's marriage, it's safety, it's protection, it's becoming a part of God's chosen people through marriage here, being protected by law. And brothers and sisters, as we, as we look at Ruth here, we have an offer of finding rest as well. And, and we see in the book of Hebrews that in this world of restlessness, we can seek rest under the wings of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Hebrews 4.1, says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. Friends, you were invited to, to enter the rest of Christ. Wow. And avoid eternal judgment. The promise of entering his rest still stands because none of us have died yet. Uh, last I checked, if we all do this, our pulse is still going. If it's not, I've probably talked too long, so I'm sorry. Um, but, but, you know, so w- there's going to be a time, though, when that promise of entering his rest is no longer. When, when, when our last tick ends, the last tick of our heart, last beat of our heart is over, that promise of entering his rest and accepting etern- like salvation through Christ will be over. However, entering this rest of Christ does come with an, a, a very strong risk. In Matthew chapter 16, verse 24 through 26, Jesus starts to let us know about this risk. And he says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Take up his cross. Remember that. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses 
his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So just like Ruth risks it all to be under the wings of Boaz, we are asked to risk it all to be under the wings of Christ. We must give up our lives in order to find this rest. And in some cultures that are anti-Christian, such as one of my friends is a missionary in that, that area, sometimes for, for one to make that, that commitment to Christ may mean risking your life. It may mean death for you. In very strong Islamic countries, we will see that. In America, it's more like giving up a lot of your life, giving up a lot of your sinful desires, things you really like to do, uh, places you really want to go. Think, no. You know, you have to give those things up. You have to die to yourself and your, what you want to do, and you live for Christ. So choosing to obey Christ and not follow your own sinful ways. And this is quite the risk, my friends. We see this again in John 18, 18 through 21. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. So making the decision to go all in for Christ does come with a price. And I think that price is negated in our culture today because we see very few who actually are true Christians. And that sounds extremely judgmental. But the scripture says you, you, you have to be all in. You know, there's going to be many that say, Lord, Lord, I, you know, I did this and I did this and I went to church and I gave and I did this and I did that. I was a deacon or whatever it was. And he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. And Jesus doesn't have people that just go part of the way in. He only has disciples that are all in. Those who truly lose their life for him and say, hey, not my will, but your will be done. Those are the people that, that he truly saves. We, we see a transition, a being born again. The old is gone. The new has come. How wonderful is that? And when you do that, when you go all in for Christ and you say, okay, I'm not just going to play the game. I'm going to go all in. You know what's going to happen? Some things are going to be tougher, right? You're going to be at social gatherings and, and somebody's going to be maybe drinking a little bit too much and, and they're going to look at you like, why aren't you, right? Well, you know, because I'm, I'm born again. I'm a, I'm a new creation. I'm not going to do that. And you may not get invited to some things at work. You may even lose your job in some places because you can't talk the way they talk or do what they do, the unethical practices that may be where you work. You might have to leave that. There's going to be risks. There may be family gatherings where, where you're going to be persecuted because you are a believer. And they're going to look at you like, wow, you're ignorant. You don't know what you're talking about. You know, evolution's where it's at. Science is where it's at. God, God's not real and you may be shunned. It will come with a price when to follow Christ. The risk is real, and there is risk involved. We'll get back to that here in a little while. Number two, when we seek rest in the Lord, the reward is relevant. The reward is relevant. Let's start by reading verses 8 and 9 in Ruth chapter 3. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. I love Boaz's first response. I'm pretty sure it was, ah! You know, I'm, I'm pretty sure that was an appropriate response. You know, like you wake up, you know, you've just worked your tail off. He's probably worn out. Uh, you know, he, he'd, he'd eaten and drank. Uh, you know, don't take that. He wasn't drunk. Uh, he, he was a godly man, but he'd eaten and drank and laid down, and he's relaxed. He's worn out, and he wakes up in the middle of the night, and there's a woman laying at his feet. 
And, I mean, you, you can only imagine what goes through his mind at this point other than, ah, you know, he, he's, he's thinking about all kinds of things like, wow, okay, this looks bad. I'm sure that's part of it, too. It's like, you know, I, I've maintained my purity. You know, this is, this is weird. And who, who even, you know, who is this? And, and he asked the, that, that most appropriate question. You know, when we, when we wake up and somebody's laying at your feet, probably the best question would be, who are you? I, I think that is a very appropriate question at this point. And he's like, you know, who are you? And it's dark. He can't tell. He can't tell that it's Ruth. He just knows that, that she has long hair, and so he knows it's a woman at the time. And he's just like, well, what is going on? And uh, she identifies herself and repeats part of the prayer that Boaz had prayed over her in chapter 2. I, I love what she says, talking about the, the she, said, she says, spread your wings over your servant. So Boaz had just said, I, you know, that the Lord spread his wings over you. And how, how wonderful is that? And now she brings that prayer that Boaz has just told her weeks ago in real time and brings it back. And in Ruth 2.12, we saw that the Lord repay you for what you've done and a for, full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. I love that she uses his words. It says, hey, I want you to be the personal demonstration of those wings. I want you to be the personal demonstration of the grace of God. And then in verse 9, he said, Who are you? She said, I'm Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. We mentioned this word last week a little bit. We're going to start kind of going through it a little bit this week, and we're going to really go through it even more next week. And she brings this word up because she's actually proposing marriage to Boaz. Like, this is a very forward thing for her to do, saying, Hey, I want you to marry me. You know, I, I want you to, to, to fulfill the line of Elimelech, Naomi's deceased husband, and, and her deceased husband, Malan. So I want you to step in, and I want you to redeem our family. And this likely comes, idea of a kinsman redeemer likely comes from Deuteronomy 25, 5 through 10, in which we saw that, that God wanted the, the, the lineage of Israel, the 12 tribes of Israel, to be protected and we know this because the coming Messiah would come through this lineage. And so he, he wanted to ensure that one of the tribes didn't just disappear. Um, we also see actually that, that he continues to protect Israel. As we see in Revelation 7, 4 through 8, there's going to be 144,000 sealed, 12,000 from each tribe, uh, and, and they kind of went. But at that point, if, if one man died, his brother was to fulfill the marital obligation there to continue that tribe, to continue it going, coming on, because God still had a plan for his people, Israel. And brothers and sisters, we saw Israel out of their land for how long and brought back in the, 19, or the 19th or 20th century. God still has a plan for his people, Israel, and we'll see it in Revelation. That's a different sermon, though. Uh, so, so Ruth chapter th- 3, verse 10 through 11. This is Boaz's response. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, you have made this last kindness greater than the first, and that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear, for I will do all that you ask. For my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. Wow. So he is humbled by her gesture. His, his response is appreciation, love, respect, and admiration even. He's amazed that this younger woman would choose him an older man who's a bachelor, and a man who is actually the son of a prostitute. His mom was Rahab. If you look at the scriptures, we have a couple of them up here. First uh, Chronicles 2.11, Nashon fathered Salmon, Salmon fathered Boaz. Moving on to Matthew, uh, or to Ruth 4.21, the same book, 
Solomon, father of Boaz. And in Matthew 1.5, we see in Solomon, the father of Boaz by Rahab. So, so if anybody knows, and as, we, as the story kind of continues to unfold, this account continues to unfold, we start to see if anybody knew what it was like to have someone, see someone adopted into the family of God, Boaz was that man. God's sovereignty, just, just, just look at what he's done here. He's brought a Moabite woman from a hated people group of Israel, and he's brought her to Israel. Okay, that, 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 that's pretty crazy, just through Naomi and through all of these things. And he's also prepared a man to, to be possibly a future husband for her. And, and this other woman, Rahab, was, you remember the battle at Jericho? Uh, she, she was the prostitute who the spies, she protected the spies. And so now she is a foreign woman, and she is grafted in here to Israel. And now, now this, this quote-unquote unholy couple, we would consider, oh, wow, like she's, a, she's from Jericho. That was a bad people. We didn't really like them. And so she comes in. Now, Boaz, there may be a reason why he's still not married. There, there may have been many in Israel that said, no. I'm not giving my daughter to that guy. I know who his mama is, you know? And so, so we've seen that, and now we have Ruth come, and she could have been treated that way. Hey, you know, you're not really one of us, so we're not. And so just look at God's sovereignty and how great he is, his providence, and how he works behind the scenes. So don't miss his working, even when things seem pretty tough, even when things seem unlikely. He, he's doing it. And then he says that this, ki- this kindness is even greater than her first kindness. So her first kindness, obviously, was leaving her people and coming with Naomi to the people of Yahweh and, and coming to Israel. So how is the second kindness greater than the first? Well, it's because she risked her reputation for her people uh, and to continue the lineage of Elimelech and to say, hey, you know what? I, I'm not going to go after a younger man. I'm not going to do this. I'm going after a guy who has godly character. I'm going after a guy who, has, who is the redeemer for my family. Uh, she still had love for her deceased husband and wanted to see his line continue. And, and she also had love for Yahweh and wanted to see the Israelite line continue. And Boaz lets her know in verse 11 that he will do all that she asks because she is a worthy woman. He sees her godly character. We've seen Boaz has been called a worthy man. Now we see Ruth is a worthy woman. This is the kind of woman that he's been waiting for, a godly woman. And a godly woman who sees beyond his culture, who sees beyond who he is ethnically, uh, who sees beyond who he is uh, just with all that, even financially. So during this first point, we've discussed the risk of following Christ. And, and the, the first point we went through, we, why should we take the step of faith and, and risk our you know, comfort on this earth to follow Jesus Christ? You know, uh, there, there is a risk, and, and brothers and sisters, I, I'm not going to say there's not a risk. I, I've already told you directly, there is a definite risk of stepping out and following Jesus Christ. It may mean some hardship in this life. But friends, the reward is relevant. The reward is relevant. And the reward is eternal life with Jesus Christ our Lord. The reward is avoid, avoiding eterni- eternity in hell, being apart from our glorious Savior. I pray that we've all put our trust in the Savior. If you haven't, I pray that you do. I pray that we are sure that we believe in the, the one true, only begotten Son of God, Jesus Christ, who lived 2,000 years ago as we celebrate Christmas coming up, who was begotten, not created, who has always been, who, who is still holding the sun, moon, and stars, as we just sang in verse 3 of, of, of the song we sang a little bit ago, 
uh, God, God made low. He, as this little baby, he's still 100% God. He's still holding creation. He's still holding you on the earth, continuing gravity at 9.8 meters per second squared, keeping you from flying up into space, even while he's lying in a manger. That same God is still the same God, the Word who became flesh and dwelt among us. And that God grew up and took on our sin on the cross, 100% man, 100% God, and died for us. As John 3.16 says, and, and three days later he rose from the grave, and now we can put our faith and trust in him. When we step out and we risk what is in this life, the reward is so much better, so much better. He is our wonderful Savior. I pray that we enter his rest. And lastly here, when we seek rest in the Lord, the result is reliable. The result is reliable. Verses 12 through 13 and now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until the morning. Man, it seemed like this story was just set for a happy ending, right? I mean, it just seemed like, ah, oh, it's so glorious. Boaz responded in a good way, and we're all, everything's good. You know, let's just, let's just end it right there. Can we just cut it at verse 12? Let's just stop. Well, then comes a, a wrench into the situation, and there's a nearer redeemer than Boaz. And Boaz, being a pure and holy man, didn't make a move, didn't say, hey, well, let's, let's, just, let's just not tell him. He might not even know he's your redeemer, right? I mean, there was a lot of things that Boaz could have done at that point that would have been unethical, unholy, but he doesn't. He says, hey, lie down. Tomorrow we're going to handle this. And he says lie down because, obviously, it's nighttime. It's a danger, dangerous for her to head back. And they remain pure there. How amazing is that, 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 that Boaz remains pure in this situation and, and a culture of impurity all over. May we celebrate that and may, may we encourage that with our young people, that we remain pure and our older people and everyone, that we remain pure like Boaz here, that even in the, the midst of, of temptation, e even when it would have been really easy to be like, well, you know, she, she came to me. You know, there, there were all kinds of things there. And this is in the time of Judges where conscience was missing among many people at this point. It even says that Israel had no king. We, we talked about that twice. Uh, people did as they saw fit, and yet still Boaz remains pure. How, how amazing is that? We know that he cares deeply for Ruth, and, and it's clear that he admires her greatly. And, and, and don't, don't misinterpret what he says, that if this other redeemer will do it, then good. He says that because he's selfless, and he cares so much about her that, that he just wants to know that she is cared for. And if it's not him, he, he just wants to make sure somebody does. And, it, and it's going to be good as long as she's cared for. Obviously, we know that he cares deeply, and he wants to marry her, that he says very kind things about her. But he just wants to know that she's okay. And in verse 14 and 15, it says, So she lay at his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another. And he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. And so she held it out, and he me measured out six measures of barley and put it on her, her, and she went into the city. So in the morning he sent out six measures, probably scoops of some sort uh, of barley, for her to take back with her. And he says he wants to keep this secret. And it's not because they were impure. It wasn't because there was anything, anything risque that happened here. But, but obviously, they wanted to make sure that the reputation stayed okay. And then we also know that he didn't want to complicate 
talks with the kinsman redeemer that he was going to be talking to that day, right? I mean, that may make it a little, he, that kinsman redeemer might ask for a little bit more, be like, well, uh, you know, I mean, maybe, but if you give me a little bit more barley, you get, you know, there may be some more negotiations. It might be a little more dirty there uh, if we watch that. So then she sent home back into the city to see Naomi. Let me get to verse 16. This is the last section here. And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, how did you fare, my daughter? Then she told her uh, all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me. For he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how the matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but will settle, settle the matter today. So when Ruth comes back to Naomi, there is intensity there. Uh, Naomi knows that, that Boaz is going to settle this that day if possible, and she's just sure that this is going to happen this very day. He's going to keep his word. There's a really interesting, subtle term here in verse 17, too. What does it say? Ruth was not to go to Naomi what? Empty-handed. Does that ring a bell? Anybody remember empty-handed being stated in this uh, book before? Ruth 121, I think it's the next slide there. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Right, Naomi comes back to Bethlehem empty. Her husband has died. Both of her sons have died. She's destitute. She has no food. She's empty. And Boaz remembers this and wants Naomi to, to know that he means business. He will provide. He will uh, kind of go through with his promise to redeem Ruth, if, all, if at all possible. And I think he also expresses a thankful heart to Naomi for encouraging her, her, her uh, daughter-in-law, to, to do this. Then verse 18 leaves us with another climax. You know, another, this time would probably be a, not, not just a 15-minute commercial break. It would be, come back next week, and we'll, we'll finish it, and I'm going to hit you with that same thing. Uh, we will know next week what Boaz and this other kinsman redeemer decide. But as we come to the end of this section, we, we've seen that, that taking the risk to follow Christ is a lot like what Ruth did. There is a risk involved. But we've also seen that the, the, the reward that happens when you take that risk, that reward is relevant. Ruth stepped out in faith, and God sovereignly provided a favorable result. And now we've seen that the risk may be real, the reward is relevant, but we also see that the result is reliable. The result is reliable. Right now, we don't know who this kinsman redeemer is going to be for Ruth, but we know that she's going to have one. Boaz has said he's going to step in. So if this other guy says no, she knows that she will be provided for, that, that she will have rest for her life. And Israel likely felt this way about the Messiah in the Old Testament, right? Their promise that this Messiah is going to come. We see countless prophecies about this Messiah that's going to come and deliver them. They were much, much like in a situation like Ruth is at this point, uh, knowing that, that they're going to be saved, that there is rest coming, but they don't know who it's going to be through. For brothers and sisters, we are blessed with knowing how reliable this result really is. We are blessed with knowing the Messiah did come. He was begotten in the, in the man, God-man Jesus Christ that was born in Bethlehem some 2,000 years ago. Today, we can step out in faith and take that risk because we know that the reward of eternal life and a relationship with Christ is far greater than any risk we may face. And we know that the, that the result of heaven is reliable. Our faith is not a blind faith. It is a faith that is firmly founded on the person of Jesus Christ, who never lies, who always fulfills his promise, who is the all-powerful and sovereign creator of the heavens and the earth. 
And friends, as we prepare for Christmas, spend some time seeing just how wonderful our Savior is. Trust Him. And remember these three things. The risk is real. There is a cost to following Christ. I'm not going to short sell being a believer of Christ. There's a reason why Jesus said to count the costs. Because there is a cost. There is a risk. But friends, the reward is relevant. No reward is more relevant than salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. And the result, my friends, is reliable. The result of following Christ is sure. It is eternal life with Christ forever in heaven. And there is nothing better, nothing more reliable. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this great book of Ruth. Uh, it's just it's your, your timing and your sovereignty uh, is just so, so incredible to see uh, Christmas coming and just how this book fits right in with where we're at, Lord. Uh, God, may, may we have our heart just completely set on you throughout this season. Uh, this next week, as we prepare for Christmas, help us to, to really firmly uh, grasp as much as we can what you really did by coming on earth, being begotten. And as you lied in that manger, may, 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 may we know that as you lay in that manger that you still held everything, God, that you never became less God. And as you grew and as you lived a sinless life and you died on the cross for our sins and that you rose from the dead, Lord, as we enter the season, may we just be thankful, have thankful hearts for Christmas, that you gave us the greatest gift of all. We love you, praise you, and thank you. Amen.